Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting, answering the big questions in film. Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is safe and sane in the world right now. How are we doing, guys? Matt Guy here. Hope you're all doing well. Hello, it's you here, third. Last as always. Welcome. <laughs> so this week we have spanned nearly four decades across two films. Valley Girl from 1983 and then Grand Isle, which was released within the last 12 months. But before we jump into that, I thought we'd just give a quick mention to Nick Cage's first credited role, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The reason we're not going into a deep dive is because he doesn't even have a name in this film. He's credited as Brad's Bud. When he's on screen, he doesn't even look at the camera. He stands with his back to the camera through most of the shot. So it's not really worth discussing his role within that. And actually, it's not even Nick Cage's first credited role. It is Nicholas Coppola's first role. Mm. But I've got to say, I really enjoyed the film. It's a teen coming-of-age comedy. I would imagine that in America it is held to quite high esteem, especially maybe from the generation above ourselves. So whereas we would hold something like maybe Super Bad or American Pie up, I could see this being the the generation before ourselves version of that film. Yeah, it very, it very much is. Because they did a, the only reason I even heard of it was because it was on an episode of Knockback. And mm. I think Dagan suggested it. And I think he's not so much a generation above it. I think he's, I think he's 11 years older. So kind of like in that kind of yeah. half step kind of thing. So, yeah, it is a massive cult, uh, cult hit over there. Because I remember hearing about... Like whenever you've heard interviews of people's sexual mo- sexual coming of age in films and they mention um, that scene in American Werewolf in London or they mention Phoebe Cates. And I never really knew who Phoebe Cates was until watching Fast Times. And I fully understand where they're coming from, even as like a, a near 40 year old man. I'm like, yeah, I think if I was the right age, that would definitely have uh, opened my eyes somewhat. But what I found very fascinating with this film, there was one girl in it, Stacey. I thought, I recognise her from something. I couldn't quite place who it was. And it was Jennifer J- yep, Jennifer Jason Lee. So in Nick Cage's first ever appearance, Jennifer Jason Lee already was starring in films. And what surprised me even more, she's two years older than Nick Cage. <laughs> Like anyone who saw Nick Cage in Grand Isle and saw Lee in the, the recent uh, Twin Peaks. Like, you must be shaking your head in disbelief to think that she's the elder of the two. Uh, but the, the, the only bad that I found in this, it's very much of its time. There's jokes about homos and fags and telling a 15-year-old to just do it and to have sex and... It's good to watch as uh, an idea of what it was like at that time. But I don't think that would fly now. But I thoroughly recommend watching it. It's a really enjoyable film. Speaking of enjoyable films about youth and young manhood, I think we should move on to our first film, which is going to be Valley Girl. (laughs) 
We are. We're ourselves. Oh, and we're not. You're like her and all the rest of her friends. You're all fucking programmed. So, released April 1983. This film is older than me. I am so happy of it. (laughs) (laughs) The first time you said that, ever. It is. It's the first. And there won't be any more after this, unfortunately, because I was born in the May. So, this is the only one which is applicable. The film starts with a hot pink title card. (laughs) We are in for an 80s ride here, lads. It was very Miami Vice, wasn't it? Even from the off. Yes. I thought. But they set their stall out. It was it was instant love at this point. As soon as, soon as it, the uh, the pink and blue came up, that was it. That was it. I was I was sucked in straight away. So we are introduced to Julie. She might be fifteen. She might be thirty six. I have no fucking way of knowing. There's just something about eighties women. They either could be children or pensioners. I don't get it. But she was there talking about boys and life and like whatever. She's going to a party. Once she's ready to go, we meet her parents. Her dad looks like an absolute kitty fiddler. Mm-hmm. And her mom looks like she might actually be younger than her daughter. Like, <laughs> yeah. again, yeah. is she 15? Is she in her 40s? We then go to the party. Honestly, is this high school or a works gathering? What the fuck is going on? The only thing I do know about this scene is the great polo shirt shortage in oh, America that's... in 1983. This is why that happened. Because every fucker was in a polo shirt. And they all had their collars up as well. And they were all tucked in as well. Every single one of them. Yeah. They're not yeah. even like tucked in with a kind of like a, like a French, what is, what's it called on the queer eye that he says? A French tuck. It's not even that. It's fully tucked in. Not, no, uh, not, not a bit of revealing over the top of the uh, buckle. No. Tucked <laughs> in like, like they're the wearing baby grows under the jeans. <laughs> oh my God. That house party on there, though. I mean, again, this might be an American thing, but I've never been to a house party where people have actually danced no. yeah, at a party. <laughs> no, what, does, every, happen, does it? Every party I've ever been to, we've always took the piss out of my mom for doing the, the handbag dance. And every single person in that scene <laughs> is doing yeah, the handbag yeah. dance. And it all <laughs> makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Side to side, one step, every, every single person, and it suddenly all makes sense why everyone of everyone 60 and above does that same shuffle. Because it was like ingrained into them. So everybody looked completely identical. That is until a black gilet over a red-shirted Nicolas Cage walks in. Immediately, he's the most interesting person in the room. Like your eyes are immediately drawn to him. He's the only one who looks different to everybody else. Every dude looks exactly the same. They're all white. They've all got that flyaway poofy hairdo, polo shirt. Every woman is in a, a big billowing blouse. So, yeah, I think it was quite a good way to bring Nick Cage into it and just show him as the standout of the film. He's the one that we're all going to be watching throughout this. Mm. Um. <laughs> 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 like, you know, like, all I can think about when we first see him, we see him kind of mosey on through the party, like not like, looking awkwardly shuffling through. Um, he just looked so much like Ross Geller or David Schwimmer in Friends. <laughs> yeah. Like he, when he um, when he had the flashbacks in Friends when he's uh, at the parties with Chandler with the big puffy hair and everything else, it was just um, it was strange. It was a strange look, but it warmed to it as the film went on. But you got the, the scene that you just skipped from the um, when he's on the beach as well. When we, you see that he's back before this before this mm. scene in the yeah. um, where you see he's back and 
he looks completely different to every other film he's ever been in. <laughs> like his body's a completely different shape, and I know he's obviously a lot younger, but even two years later, he's completely changed. Then something happens, and for some reason, the head pastel polo wearer punches Nick Cage <laughs> and kicks him out of the party. But unperturbed, Cage decides he's not going to stand for that shit and returns to the party, sneaking into the bathroom window and then hiding out in the shower. With <laughs> creepy 25... Cage. Yeah, very creepy Cage, this. We're 25 minutes into the film at this point and we've seen two polo-shirted men be absolute sex pests to women and we've seen two lots of 80s boobs already. At this point, I thought, oh, this is going to be um, she's going to be a bit of a laugh. It might not be good, but it'll be fun, if nothing else. But as I say, Cage is hiding in the shower. And whilst he's there, so many people come in in groups and we've got people going in. They only go in there to smoke or to get sexually assaulted. No <laughs> one's gone in there for a quick shit. And like, this is a toilet. Surely someone's just going to pinch one off. But did, oh, does, anyone, does anyone shit at a party, though? There's always someone. There's always someone that puts a brown torpedo in. Yes, I, I mean, I've I've done it at football grounds twice ever, and that was a uh, absolute desperado times. But I don't think even even I've ever done it at a party. Mate, when you've got to go, you got to go. You talk. You speak to someone who's had a shit at Planet. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so, God! So like, and that, we, has, and that barely just, has a door on it. For um for non Wolverhampton people, imagine the scene in Train Spotting, <laughs> and the, that's the kind of toilet that we're talking about here. <laughs> oh, that's finished me off there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is grim. Is <clears throat> uh, the door the door of the shower is see through as well? Got it. It's like translucent. Yeah, he's wearing all black, and there's no way he's hiding in a white tiled room, is he? <laughs> even, when he's, even when he's like hiding down, his hairline sits above the the rim of the the shower, so it's, it's, it just makes no sense. But actually, that was the only like one of the few parts because when you look at the cover, um, it has him in this in like a tie, shirtless, but with like a blazer or a jacket on. And it's he, uh, she was a valley girl, he was a punk, or whatever the title is. You think he's going to be instantly really weird. And it's not until he's, he's sat in that bathroom and he's there, like, pretending to shoot them as they're, as they're in there. And he actually starts <laughs> yeah. to act weird. And that was when I thought, oh, actually, this is quite, he's going to be quite entertaining in this. You mean the poster's not, got the wrong girl on the cover as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the, the girl who, who we come to later on because she was cast first. I never <laughs> even clocked that. That's terrible. <clears throat> Finally, Julie comes into the bathroom. She's literally the only person who has come to the bathroom on her own at this point. Cage then decides to reveal himself to her. Not, not in that way. He just <laughs> he comes out of the shower, I mean. Uh, and he decides, oh, he then persuades Julie to leave the party early. Julie drags her friend Stacy along. She seems wildly unhappy about leaving. And even more so when she spies Cage's gimpy sex pest mate, Fred. <laughs> to be honest, Stacy seems like a right annoying cunt in this part. And then again, Fred might rape her, so I sort of understand. It's very much a fish out towards the kind of girl, eh? she you can she's obviously never been around anyone else other than her own bubble of popular mm. people. Yeah, and the, the pastel wearers. Um, so he, he got that never kind of 
stood out as being a weird thing to me. I thought, well, yeah, someone like that would be quite scared. It's like you take like taking Rich and putting him in the Gifford in his cardigans. I think they needed to have her there to show actually how much of a bratty, spoilt like life that yeah. they came from without making the central character unlikable. Mm. So they had to have her there as a way of actually showing how spoilt and um, how out of, de- out of their depth they are without us actually thinking, well, the other ones are right twat. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's a very good point. Uh, we then get a little bit of crazy cage when he's driving down the street and he's like screaming at strangers. Yeah, but for some reason he's only doing like about fifteen miles an hour, so it's hardly <laughs> high octane stuff. And he's, but he knows everyone. He knows yeah, everyone. Everyone. And for someone who's a bit of an outcast, how does he know everyone? So then, Cage, Julie. Cunt Stacy and Rapey Fred <laughs> arrive at this dive bar whilst drinking Cage and Julia talking. And I've got the, the quotes from this bit. She says, you guys think you're so different, don't you? He says, we are. We're ourselves. Oh, and we're not. Yeah, you're like her and the rest of her friends. You're all fucking programmed. It's like they proper hit you over the head with the dialogue here. They're like, this is important. You need to learn this life lesson. And they make it stand out so badly. <laughs> I just thought it was awful. Really, really hammed up the uh, the portentousness of what the lines that they were delivering. But they really weren't that portentous, to be perfectly honest. Mm, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean, mate. This When, when that scene was on, all I could think about was, um, oddly, quadrophenia. 79 mm. British when they you know they explore that about you know why would I want to be uh, uh that's what uh, the, the line has escaped me that's why I'm a mod I don't want to be like everybody else but it's done in so, you know, so much more romantic way even in a yeah. way that, that this is done um and it's 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 so like forced I, I know the film in itself is loosely based on Romeo and Juliet but they force that kind of how far apart they are to the point where it's it's like being rammed down your throat, isn't it really? Yeah. And I, yeah. I just I just wanted to be in that bar. It looked great. It did look fun, to be honest. And that band, I, I would have listened to them back in the day. The soundtrack's on YouTube. Okay. It's a decent soundtrack. Yeah, it's, it's probably it's, the best thing about it. It's their um it's on their the band's actual name. It's there on their YouTube channel, which is pretty okay. much the soundtrack to this film. <laughs> well what I thought was interesting is I was just making comparisons to punk as they know it i'm guessing they're referring to calling somebody a punk that it actually being punk mm. because that is mm. it's the only punkest band i've ever heard in my life it was closer like, to like joy division and the smiths than it was like yeah it's, it's a new wave the, kind the of. damned or sex pistols or anything like that yeah that's very true yeah it's like punk ass and that kind of it's uh, a common language lost by an ocean again eh? oh is it one of those is it yeah because i suppose you wouldn't really like the Ramones are probably as punk as the Americans got, but you, they're very melodic. Whereas when you look at the more traditional British-based punk bands, melody sort of goes out the window a bit. Yeah, I, I can't think of an American version of Johnny Rotten, can you? No, uh, no, can't actually. Until you get into like Motley Crue and like <laughs> into like that time that time period, I guess. So the hair metal bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you go. It's hair metal and rap rock. It's not. It's not punk. I mm. think it, it is just a just a, a phrase thing. In the next part, 
Nick says to Julie, when can I see you again? She responds with, why don't you wait until the end of the evening to say these things? Like, why does that fucking matter? <laughs> he then responds with, that's the way I feel. That's what I want. And looks forlornly. Like, they are proper trying to breakfast club this film up, aren't they? They're really like, be your true selves, kids. Make sure, you know, it's very much what you need to do with your life. And then we cut to Cage and Julie making out in his car as rapey Fred is chasing Stacy around. I'm actually worried for her safety at this point. All, it, all this needed was the Benny Hill theme tune. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, he then kisses her. Uh, rapey Fred then kisses Stacy. But she's leaning so far back, she's almost in 1982. She does not want that kiss <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then the following day, Julie's at work and Nick Cage turns up to her as she's um, <clears throat> working in her father's restaurant. It was a restaurant, wasn't it? It's like a health, it's a health food. It's Holland and Barrett's, That's the one, yes, yes. Like she's a... rocking a polo shirt today, just, just so we know it's still the 80s, and Nick Cage is wearing plaid. That makes me happy, <laughs> as a man who wears plaid all the fucking time. I'm going to say as well, the um, before then, when, when she asks her parents why they're not having a go at her for staying out all night... <laughs> Yeah, that was a bit strange. Like, she was inviting them to shout at her. Yeah, because there's there's such hippies that they don't care. And he was one of them, that's it, one of them was upside down. One of them was in yoga. She was like, (laughs) she was presenting in the wild, we call it offering, basically. (laughs) We need to point out as well, this is purely for the Twitter, I'll I'll, I'll do it myself. To highlight how much of a departure um, the, the nightclub was from the life that she's used to it flicks around to like un- undesirable looking people. And then someone that looks exactly like Stu, he was like, a, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, a, it, was just, it was just a bald guy that was like really happy, really smiley, happy bald guy. And I thought, Oh, is that, is that what weird is in the eighties? You <laughs> you've got a shaved head. And I guess, I guess like skinheads, that was, must've been another thing. Like well, you, you said I'm out of time. I'm saying you're ahead of time. Yeah. I think. <laughs> anyway. And like I don't want to shame Nick Cage here, but that monobro and that gap in his teeth. Like I never knew this is what Nick Cage actually looked like back in back in the day. Like this is probably what he would look like now had he not have got other work and become a bit of a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's um Sam had said to me that he's like couldn't believe his teeth and, and how he looked. He, he had summer teeth, summer here, summer there. It was, really like, it was like all over the place. Like, yeah. But I'm guessing that's not necessarily like a makeup thing, but it would help with the outcast look of him and, and the not preppy look, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And we get an 80s montage to I Melt With You. Yeah. This is, I quite this like is that. Excellent. I like that song, to be fair. But Yeah. The girls then go to a pyjama party, except it's not a pyjama party. It's T-shirts and high-legs panty party. Mm-hmm. Why is no one wearing pyjamas? Does, and then does... they all try on their mother's underwear. What the bollocks is going on? Has <laughs> <laughs> any, any girl you ever known had one of these parties? Again, no. No, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think it's a thing. I asked Sam, she said, absolutely not. Um... And uh, maybe an American, maybe it's a more widely accepted American thing. I don't know. Todd, if you're listening, <laughs> you ever been to a 
<laughs> yeah, Tyler, have you ever done a panty raid at a pyjama party? <laughs> they put you down need to know. for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then weirdly in the next scene, Julie gets to back back together with her ex-boyfriend, King Polo Shirt from the beginning. I didn't even realise they were actually a couple. I know we <laughs> saw them like friendly at the beginning, but I didn't realise they were a couple until they're a couple again in, at this point uh, and we found out that julie's no longer seeing cage but when the fuck did this happen but then it turns out that nicholas cage missed it too because he turns up at julie's where she tells him to fuck off and i have like <laughs> no bastard idea what is going on at this point for what is ostensibly a straightforward a to b story the middle gets proper muddled and the storytelling's all over the shop it's really bad yeah, it's a bit. It's like we say many, many times in this that there's too many ideas at once. And yeah. it's it it's quite a simple film in in the first place, but then they weave all these weird weird things going on at the same time, for, and some of them never even get resolved. Mm. There's, there's just no explanation. Like they pick up threads and drop them without any explanation, or they do this where they jump into the middle of a story when they haven't even started it. It's the whole arc of that kid, Skip, trying to get with uh, that girl's mum. Yeah, that, that was weird. And then and we're like, okay, that doesn't have anything really to do with anything. Uh, did you not make the quota minutes you needed for the film or something like that? Like, what's the, what's the story here? I didn't really... It was like, like she, was, she was trying to seduce a child. Let's call it what it is. She was trying to seduce a, a child, and if you was that age, you absolutely would. Um, but then it flips to him because I thought that he'd gone to her house, and that's who he was in bed with at first. Yeah, or, yeah that's going to be in the show. Yeah. I think that was the what it was aimed to be. But then it turned out to be the girl. And you think, oh, okay, why? Why have you chose her over a mom? <laughs> there was no, there was no explanation to any of that storyline, and no actual payoff to it either. Again, it was like the middle of a story. We didn't have the beginning. We didn't have the end. It so, needed to yeah. be. An, it needed to be. It needed to be an extra half hour long, so we could get payoff from it. Fucking hell! It was long enough. <laughs> as it was. <laughs> uh, then drunkenly, Cage makes up with someone who is apparently his ex. But again, we've got absolutely no context for this. We've not met her before. We don't really know who she is. We're just having to piece it together ourselves. Yeah, she's just on the poster, that's it, on the cover of the box. But, I mean, she could have been absolutely anybody. That could have been a one-night stand and probably would have made more sense in the context of the film. Unless yeah. they shot it out of order and we're supposed to have a bit more context and it ended up on the cutting room floor. Mm. Oh, it's just badly made, to be perfectly honest. Well, they didn't even use it as a plot device, did they? Like, she finds out he's been with her when she no. wants to reconcile... <laughs> pointless. It was just an it was an excuse for more eighties boob. That was it. Well, no. which is all eighties boob is most welcome at all points. And then Cage tries once again to make up with Julie, and she again tells him to fuck off <laughs> without any explanation on where she is, why she's in this place. Like, I mean, I wasn't particularly enjoying it anyway, but by this point, I just wanted to turn it off. And had it not been that we had to discuss it. I wouldn't have carried on with this film. It's just 
just badly made. I think that's, that's all I can say. Julie then goes out with her polo-clad boyfriend to the cinema and to a diner, and Cage is there to serve them. I couldn't work out if this was supposed to be a dream sequence, because does he work at a cinema and a diner? Do we know this information, or again, is he just rocking up in these places and putting a shift in? Hey, did he, like getting a job in the eighties must have been really easy if he managed to get the, the exact same week that they were going to these places that he was just working there stalking them. Both times when Julie sees him, she looks really happy about it. But I'm like, only half a day ago in your time, you told him to go away and leave you alone. So, what's going on? And Polo King is acting an absolute prick, but she's still with him. I mean, I'm just confused. I mean, that, that's it. I am just confused with this film. I mean, I, there is there is girls who've been. There was people like Paolo King at school who were absolute bellends, and they they always had the popular fit girls with them. For again, who knew why? Mm. Which, which never made any sense. But then you could never get us apart from Javi Baxter. Could never get a, a job in Cineworld, so you couldn't <laughs> recreate this film there. Do you need to bleep that name out? No, 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 Javin Sound. Javin okay. was Javin was used to go around talking about X Men before it was even fashionable. Like when it, like mid he was the only one going around saying Wolverine all the time. And <laughs> people used to take the piss out of him. The same people now who love all all comic book films. So ahead, thing, ahead, ahead of his time Javin was. Yeah. And, and if you don't know comic films, go back to our top five episode in the archives. <laughs> <laughs> And Julie's re- getting ready to go to the prom. Polo Boy rocks up wearing a pastel pink <laughs> dinner suit. He looks fucking horrendous. All and Julie great. looks like she's a 50-year-old something divorcee celebrating her first night of freedom. What the hell was she wearing? And her parents, her dad getting high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the, in the bathroom. and then, But this is where her mum did look younger than her. So at this point in the film is when I checked IMDb and the mom is nine years older in reality. So no wonder they look like comparatively the same age because they are almost the same age. They're both in their 20s at this point. <laughs> and it's like it's such an inconsequential role, that mother, uh, that mother role. Why not just get someone who's age appropriate? I mean, a Bette Midler yeah. at the time. Although I'm pretty sure Bette Midler wouldn't have taken this shit if they'd have paid her like three times the going rate. Unsurprisingly, Cage crashes the prom with Rapey Fred once again. Fist fight with Polo nonce. Like I don't even know what's going on anymore, to be perfectly honest. Why were they fighting? Where did that come about? Was it just because they were both there and they both wanted Julie? Yeah. Why does he know Kung Fu? <laughs> <laughs> And then after the fight, Julie just walks away with Cage. Like, she's just done a, a face turn again. Like, there's just no there's no resolution to any of her issues throughout the film. She's obviously going through some stuff of trying to find out who she is. But it's never explained. It's never expanded on. We don't get any soliloquies or monologues from anybody just telling us what's going on. It's just really boring. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's more to this, and we're maybe we're not 
actually clever enough to realise that it's purposely not giving us anything because that's how hormones are when you're at that age, Andy. You know, you don't know where you are. So maybe maybe it's really clever. It's, it's not. You, it's YouTube. <laughs> it's YouTube's, I absolutely adored this film from start to finish. <laughs> and I know, I know it's complete nonsense and a lot of it don't make any sense. But I thought, I know we're going to go into Good, Bad and Crazy in a minute, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself through the whole thing. There was a bit in the middle that was, like we've said, was stupid. Um, but I, is it even supposed to be a comedy? Because there was, there was stuff in it that... I, who knows? <laughs> Who knows what yeah. But I, I was laughing and giggling to myself a lot in this film. If it was intentional or not, I don't know. But then you look at it and it's one of Kevin Smith's favourite films ever. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I know why. Because I thought I enjoyed myself. And because it's an 80s film, we end with a food fight. <laughs> <That's wild. laughs> so Again, I am... I only ever had one food fight ever. I don't think I've ever had one. I didn't. I didn't think it was an actual thing. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. Um, the because it was Dean's birth. That that Dean as well. It's his birthday party of the um of the Britain, and we had you know, cake and everything. And we went to um. It turned into a food fight for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And we went to the um went to his cousin's house who lived around the corner from the pheasant. Uh, to watch the game, I think. All that now the England game was at eight. There was a game on at six. Or something like that. Mm. So we went around there to crash at his house, drink more. But unbeknownst to anyone, I, on the way there, I had cake in my hair. And so <laughs> when we, we went, we had to go past Dean's to go to Chris's. So I put my head in Dean's pond in his garden to wash my hair again when I had <laughs> when I had long hair. This was, um, which then we found out the next day his fish were dead. <laughs> Um, so then with the uh, pond water, cake hair, and then we walked in the uh, in the pheasant the next day, and there was a couple of people in there. What's that smell? And her friend turned around and he said, "It's his fucking hair." Jesus, wet. And it would. I, I washed it seven times, and in the end, I had to shave it off because it was it was horrendous. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So that, that, that that's Dead why fish, shouldn't there? <laughs> Dead fish, cake, beer. And that's why food fights are not a thing in England. Oh, that is cream. <clears throat> so, IMDb, it's a 6.4. Yes. Metacritic is a 66. Rotten Tomatoes, and I cannot fucking believe this, 82%. It's you too, this is the problem. It's great. The budget was estimated to be 350000 which I sort of get because Nick Cage is nobody at this point, and I don't really recognise anybody else in it, so I don't think they went on to have a big career. And the soundtrack as well, songs I'd never heard of before. Mm. Um, Stu, would you like to guess what the box office return was? Well, you look at how, how beloved it, amazingly beloved it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> 10 million maybe? A massive guess, Matt. Higher or lower? Lower. I reckon it probably had like more cult status. I'm gonna go like two mil, seventeen million dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. um, and especially for that that day and age as well. Obviously, it would have been cheaper to go to the cinema. That's a massive amount for like <laughs> for good films. That's a lot. So. 
There we go. To quote one super hands from Peep Show, people like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. You can't, <laughs> you can't trust people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Um. So the good, the bad, and the crazy, Matt. I'll, I'll save Stu for last because he's got a lot to say about the good. I'm, I'm gathering. So Matt, do you want to go first? Uh, good. Um. So the bad, uh, basically, <laughs> no, the good. Um, I liked some of the, um, I liked the portrayal of the, the rougher side of town and the the dive bar and like the streets and mm. all of the characters on there. I think they actually did quite a nice job of that. I won't lie. I thought it was pretty fun, and it actually looked like the kind of place I'd want to go to. I think, as you both mentioned as well, it looks like Michael Petit, really. Yeah. Um, the bad. <sighs> where where to start really um I, I i know they don't have the time or it's not their thing to like explore um like sexuality and whether and what that's like at that t- that point in time in people's lives but you know the girls are just they're it's sexual assault after sexual assault isn't it in this film <laughs> like they're just it's just it's not like it's not it's not even questioned it's just yet yeah, they're there they're there for gratification and that's it. But then at the same time, they're so flippant about what they want, the women in this film. You can all, you know, it, 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 the portrayal of it's really, really strange. Yeah. Um, and, and the crazy, really. Well, the the very early glimpses of Crazy Cage comes through and I quite like that. You know, we we can see those little cameos of, of, of the things mm. that we enjoy about Cage's performances come through, um, even if it's only in small drips and drabs. But, it's uh, it's there to be explored later on in his career. Yeah, for me, the good. <sighs> <laughs> okay, the the chemistry between Cage and Deborah Foreman, who played Stacy, no Julie, even I, I can't remember the fucking names anymore. The two leads, I thought their chemistry was quite good. Apparently, Nick Cage had a massive crush on her in real life. So I think that kind of shines through that they did work fairly well together, I suppose. Um, the bad, it, it was confusing. Like like I've, I've mentioned a few times, it just wildly goes from one thing to the next without any explanation or na- narrative construction. That's not very good, even for a film that's supposed to be a teen film. The crazy, uh, we did briefly mention this, that weird romance, th- or not even romance, that thing where the mother was trying to fuck that hairy boy. <laughs> what was that about? Again, it, it comes out of nowhere and ends when he's caught banging her daughter. But there's no resolution to it, so the fuck was going on? So I thought that was quite crazy. So go on then, Stu, the, the floor is yours. I do wonder though if if that was a kind of like influence for like Stifler's mom in American Pie. Could be, yeah. Thinking how how well loved this film is, and was American Pie 15, 10, 12, 15 years later, something like that. So it might have been because people who saw this in the cinema thought, and then went on to make that film. Mm. There was a lot of kind of like the outsider stuff. There was, American Pie is basically a, a modern day version of this. <laughs> just to see that look on your face now well, the good i just well everyone loves the 80s anyway but there was there was times in the um in the, the pastel polo party where 
I thought if this was made now as an 80s kind of like a set in the 80s thing, like Stranger Things, people would say this is bollocks. No one actually dressed like this. <laughs> Which I was kind of, it kind of got me at first because I thought I've never seen anything like it in my life. Like, what, what, what is everyone doing? Mad. And it wasn't until they went to the, um, to the great bar in the first place, the first time they went there, and I thought, I like this film. And it was a lot to do with the soundtrack as well, but I just, I know it's got its problems, and that, that is the bad, that there was too many loose ends that never got tied up properly. And maybe, again, that was a, probably a budget thing, but if you have got a budget, don't start things. But Yeah. That, Removes the like, subplot. Yeah, it, but apart from that, like I said earlier, I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it, and I don't know really why. But and I'm not going to excuse myself, obviously, because of Transformers. There's the mention. Um, <laughs> but no, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And the crazy was obviously the shower. <laughs> the shower scene and him <laughs> glimpses of Crazy Cage coming through. And the tea, the tea thing was a bit mental because I didn't expect it. And I didn't, didn't know about that either. Mm. So, but no, I, I just, as soon as I'd watched it, I said, I can't wait to talk about this film. Because I, I just I, re- I want to go and watch it again now. <laughs> I, I uh, never want to see this film <laughs> as long as I live. <laughs> well, well, shoot. Did you don't, did you know they've they've remade it in twenty twenty? Yeah, but it's like a musical, ain't so. How is it? Oh, I'm more more invested in watching that then. If it's a musical, that's that's what the the write up seemed to say that it was um it was based on this and it was more musical theatre. So I don't know. Oh. I might check that out later. A jukebox musical romantic comedy. Wow. Not a big fan of the jukebox musical. I want original that, songs. A bit like Mamma Mia then? Yes, Mamma Mia and Rock of Ages, which I think you like. Rock, Rock of Ages is really good though. Rock of Ages is good. I, I, saw, it the, it. I saw it at the Birmingham Hippodrome as well when it came around and it was amazing then as well. I, I don't like jukebox musical though, so that'd be why it wasn't for me. So Matt... I don't know the answer, but did you enjoy this film? No, and I didn't enjoy it in a it's shit, so let's have a good time with it way either. I, it's it's I, no I, City of Angels, is it? It's no City of Angels. Um, when when I'm cast to hell for all of my eternal <laughs> sins, they'll have they'll have this next on repeat. Yeah. For me, it wasn't funny enough to be weird science, and it wasn't portentous enough to be The Breakfast Club. It was just a meh. It just sort of existed. And realistically, I don't know who this film was made for. So in the States, it got an R rating, which I think is you have to be over 17. If you're an 18 year old, I don't think this film has got the same resonance as if you were maybe 14, 15. So I don't really know who the film was made for. But again, you're looking at things from our point of view now. You're going to look at people who are 18 year olds then, which seems a very, very different world. Altogether, and what uh, what would this what would this be now? A twelve, probably. Looking, looking yeah. at the thing, how things have gone now, this will be a twelve, twelve A. So I don't know what that that is over in our uh, stateside friends. PG thirteen, I think, is the equivalent for a twelve A. Yeah, so it's it's dumbed down now, and if it was a comedy, then I don't think it would have hit because it doesn't seem to be made as a comedy yeah. on the whole. And like say coming of age drama, but we're not American and we're not 18, 19 in 1983. So, mm. but then as I'd mentioned before about Fast Times, that I think still has a 
a decent message, yeah, it would probably need slight reworking if it was to be made today. But I think that still holds up, whereas this hasn't got the legs. I think so it's you, also a no for me on the uh, enjoying the film. I think you should you should watch St. Elmo's Fire. It's, it's I've re- seen it many years ago. Yeah, that's really. I mean, that's the completely very like the opposite end of the spectrum of not being funny in the slightest. Mm. It's quite tragic in parts as well. Good soundtrack but, as well, from what I remember. Oh yeah, excellent and original soundtrack as well. Yeah, um, with a song that everyone knows, but <laughs> you don't know the name of, and they, then it makes sense when you see this, but that film. But yeah, well, for me, I thought I enjoyed it. Obviously, <laughs> so in that, the I'll, future. Oh, sorry, Stu. I say, oh, no, I will watch this again sooner and later as well. <laughs> so down the line, we're going to do our top five and bottom five cage performances when we've got a few more films under our belt. Will this be in your top five, Stu? Or will it be you know, in consideration for your top five? I think it actually will. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> City of Ang- then Then the uh, Love Cage week was... Both of them are sweet films, and I probably will. I'm, I might watch them again eventually, but I know that I'm going to watch this again. So it's going to get in there by default of just being watchable. Mm. And for me, not for you two, but for me, that's what it is. And it, it ain't getting any further than higher than five. No way. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it, it might be in there. It might sneak in there. Mm. Matt, is this in contention for bottom five? Do you think? Oh. I mean, for me, definitely is. Hundred percent, mate. If you yeah. ask me for, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um. I mean, we've we've this three terrible films we've watched: the two Ghost Riders and Next, and this is like in contention with Ghost Rider bad or Ghost Rider Two bad for me. At least Ghost Rider Two was kind of morbidly curious about it. I mean, it was shit, but it was funny at the same time. <laughs> well, and it segues us nicely, really. But I can't believe the reviews this got compared to the film we're about to watch. Mm. So, the last question, obviously, Nick Cage, good or bad? For me, sorry, Nick, but it's a good job you've got contacts in the business because if this was anybody else's first outing, they might not have got any more films, I'm afraid. So, it's uh, a bad. Matt? Nothing offensively bad from Nicolas Cage's side. However, it's nothing that, you know, it's, it's, never, it's not a saving grace for the film either. So, for that reason, it's a bad, unfortunately. Stu? <laughs> thing is he was he wasn't great but there was a lot of terrible performances in this film as well and i think maybe that's why he stood out more than anyone yeah. else so by default yes yeah okay right so um grand isles next <laughs> You know about deception, don't you? Not sure I follow. I mean, I can tell you having problems at home. Now, an example. Uh, when was the last time you had your uh, cock um, sucked? Excuse me? That long, huh? Hey, guys. You know what else I can tell? What's that? I can tell you want to fuck my wife. What? What I mean if... So, when we get to Grand Isle, the first thing I noticed was literally in the opening credits. Right, I will list you the opening credits. <laughs> VMI Worldwide, <laughs> Over William, Pro- uh, sorry, Over William Pictures, 
ORWO Studios, Saturn Films, in association with Bondit Media Capital, in association with Jeff Rice Films. There were six studios and production companies involved in this film. Like, that is a fucking red flag. Immediately thinking, this is going to be bollocks. Remember, remember was. You, years ago when they, on the uh, Wall Season review videos and the VCI Sport or something like that, and it used <laughs> yeah. to have a really shitty 3D logos pop up. When I put this on, that's what I thought of straight away. It's like if you've ever seen The Room, which I know you definitely have, Stu. Matt, have you seen The Room? No, I, I keep <gasps> hearing you guys talk about it. Oh, you need to watch got, that. And, you need to watch both of them. Mm-hmm. In the room and yeah. Disaster Artist, straight yeah, after. Yeah. I know, I know, I know about it. I've read, I read about it when the Disaster Artist came out, but uh, I haven't actually seen it with my own fair eyes. So at the beginning of the room, it comes up with like Wiseo Productions, Wiseo Studios, Wiseo Filmhouse. It's got like five or six different oh. production companies. So that was the first thing I thought of when I saw all of that at the beginning. I had to rewind it twice just to write them all down quickly. <laughs> And none of them you've heard of before? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, we then get some girl guides who come up to the door selling some cookies. I've got no idea what this film is about. Like Literally, this is the first I'd heard of it was two weeks ago when we said we were doing this one. But we've got this dark, ominous music, this strange, sexy lady with a terrible, terrible accent telling this kid that she's got a pretty face. I can tell immediately this is going to be horrific and I'm going to love it. I can just tell. Mm-hmm. But knowing nothing about it, so my first idea of this film, my first prediction was, is this going to be voodoo? Because she's got some kind of um, New Orleans type accent. We set in a swamp. So I thought, okay, I think this could be some kind of supernaturally voodoo. I was invested straight off the bat, even we're only like four or five minutes in at this point. But I thought, okay, this could be something. What did you guys think? Yeah, I was, um, I was exactly the same. I was, uh, because I'd purposely not done any research into this whatsoever because I wanted to hear about it fresh. Because every film to date, I knew the tiniest bit about or a little (laughs) bit of backstory. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of know what, what, is the vibe of this film and almost straight away it was going to be something supernatural or satanistic or cult or something, something along those lines. Um, Stu, what did you, what did you think? I knew what it says next to the poster on IMDb, which again, <laughs> at this point in the film made no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all. That, that's again, that, that's, that's all that's you it. had. Yeah. That's, that's all I went into it with for the, well, for the same reason as with all of these that, ones that I've never seen before or I've kept away from mm. going in fresh every time. But this, just seeing it, how, how decrepit he looked on the post, I thought, what is it even about? <laughs> I need to prepare myself. Yeah. And then they take great pains to make sure that we're aware this is 1988. I don't really know why, because the the date of this film doesn't really have any bearings on anything. It, mm. Particularly, other than he's a ex-Vietnam vet, so he needs to be age-appropriate to that. But the, There is. I'll, we'll come to it later. We'll come to it. Okay. okay. It, it made sense later on. Right. Uh, Nick Cage is awoken by an intruder. The intruder is wearing a black and white striped top. He's the fucking Hamburglar. <laughs> That's the Hamburglar. He's trying to escape. Nick Cage shoots him in the back. 
we then cut to Fraser Crane, who is interrogating a man who looks like he's been beaten. Are we to assume this is supposed to be the Hamburglar or what? I, I didn't really know what they were trying to say. But then Fraser says something about him being a murderer. What's this? I mean, like, all we've seen so far is Cage shooting somebody and we don't even know that that person was dead. Like, I'm genuinely intrigued. In the real world, when I watched this, this was the point I closed my laptop. I'm like, actually, I just want to watch this film, see what it is. I, I didn't want to keep stopping every few minutes to make some notes. So I just... So, oh, yeah, I'll yeah, put it down and just yeah, sat and watched it for a bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I thought it might be like um, one of them kind of snapshot things where they do one time and then another, and then you find out halfway through how they meet to how it melds together. Yeah. I thought they were going going for that kind of angle, but uh, it did cross my mind. I thought he sounds like Cage. Is this is this an earlier version of the same character? Is it some, mm. is it something like that? But again, because not knowing anything, he was. I like I like doing it that way. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, oh, yeah. we were like six minutes in by the time we see Fraser Crane, and I, I'm hooked already. I'm like, I want to know what's happening. Aside from the dreadful accents, we've got the sexy, creepy lady. We've got Fraser Crane talking about a murder. We've got Nick Cage doing Nick Cage things. Like, this is a fucking good start to a movie. Yeah, it, it does enough to keep you interested. It does enough to make you wonder what's going to happen next and, and keep you watching bar making notes on my phone my eyes were glued on the screen so that's all i could really really ask for to be honest one question running through my mind was where are we with wig watch oh yeah wig watch um I, i'd complete i was so i was so engrossed in the film i never even thought of it i'm guessing with valley girl that was pure nick cage do with this one, that's that's a wig. That's too thick. I mean, we've seen him in some films where he's looking thinner and thinner by the day. Well, you, so, yeah, that, that's a good wig he's got there. You can tell it is because of his hairline at the end. Mm, yeah. True. Yeah. When he um, removes the, the long, scraggly wig. Yeah. It's a complete different man at the end, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy who's been questioned by Fraser, he begins to explain what happened and why he isn't the killer flashback time after establishing that buddy that's the guy who's been questioned he hasn't been banged by his wife for six months that's literally the first thing we find out about this guy we then see him arrive at cage mansion and he's the handyman he's been hired to repair the fence from which the hamburglar fell through before the big storm hits it's established here that buddy was on the uss stark which I didn't realise that's actually a real thing. Um, it was a frigate that was attacked by Iraqis, causing numerous deaths and injuries. Somebody's obviously been on Wikipedia when they made this film, though. <laughs> All the facts were exactly what Wikipedia said when I read it. And Nick Cage is a Vietnam vet. So we know we're dealing with two guys who've seen bad times. But he gets to work. And we go inside with Cage and we see that the lady with a terrible accent arrives wearing some exceptionally sexy lingerie. Mm -hmm. I mean, Spooge McDuck. She looks bonza. <laughs> so, Katie Strickland, uh, she's playing Cage's wife. We get an argument between the two. It turns out that much like Buddy, Cage also hasn't had sex for some time either. This is the first proper look at Cage that we get, and he looks like he's getting into Joe Exotic early doors. Yeah. He's got the dodgy handlebar moustache, this ropey southern accent, and he's, up, he's somehow both skinny and fat at the same time. 
<laughs> is, do, is that padding, do we think? Yeah, it's got to be. Because he does look a bit trimmer at the end when we see him again, when it makes his comeback, doesn't it? Yeah. Unless it was just in wearing a flannel, because that's what that kind of silly material does to you. But um, all I could think of was Frank Gallagher at Shameless. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much that kind of character, isn't it? Booked out the comedy. Sitting there drinking all day long. Well, have you seen the American version of Shameless? No, um, William H Macy, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's much more serious, and mm. it's it's almost like a dark comedy compared to what the Channel Four one was over here. And he's very, it's a very similar character to William H Macy's Frank Gallagher. Okay, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's watchable. It's it's not good, but it's it's nothing like the original one. Yeah, I've got down on my notes that he's actually quite likable, even though he's miserable as fuck. Cage at the start of this film. Yeah, I mean he's very charismatic, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, following this argument between Cage and his wife, his wife goes outside to flirt with Buddy. She introduces herself. Her name is Fancy. And I've just got <laughs> written down here, fucking lol. Like she could have called herself Southern Belle for how cliched <laughs> that name was. It's terrible. And to show that Nick Cage is an alpha male jarhead, he starts shooting bottles with a sniper <laughs> rifle in front of Buddy. Okay then, mate, you do you. On uh, top of a fence that he's just about fixing in the rain. Yeah. It's a weird scene. Like He's already established that he's a tough guy and he's the alpha dog. So why does he then need to get his gun out? Like mm. We know who he is, and so does Buddy. He's already... You know, dominated him and, and shown him who's the boss. A bit of a strange and, one, that. And called him Tadpole. Of, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Did any of you guys at this point, because you wouldn't believe the... Because I was trying to work the plot out as it was going on. I wrote some notes as, like, little... Uh, what I thought was happening at that time. <laughs> at this point, uh, they are ghosts, was my... Is what I thought was going I on thought at that, that at one point, yeah. And because you said Southern Bell, are they an echo of time from the past? Um, and that's what I thought at this point in time. So I'm guessing you did too, Andy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I come to it in a little bit. Because um, there's one bit where they're talking a bit. Oh, yeah. It's when Buddy asks them, oh, how long have you been married or something? And yeah. that they say however many years, but we've known each other much longer. Lifetimes, multiple lifetimes. Yes. I thought, yeah. Oh, so he's been around forever. He's, and we've got this subplot of missing teenagers. And we've got like this sort of voodoo-y theme to it. I thought, oh, maybe they're harvesting souls and, you know, they're really hundreds of years old, but they still look maybe in their 60s for Nick Cage. I don't even know at this point. So, it's, yeah, weird. I was saying, well, we can't say the name because it'll completely ruin the film, but a certain film that we watched last year, which I had no clue about this kind of thing, about <laughs> signposting of people being dead in films and oh yeah yeah oh you can mention that no one's saying no, that shit exactly we'll, we'll, we'll mention it at the time though so we can't say um, it, it will it will it, even though they're, they're spoiled it for themselves in their own trailer <laughs> it's quite obvious yeah uh, uh, this the, the dead goes straight out the dead go through me let's just say that <laughs> yeah um so where are we Oh, yeah, so Buddy 
fails to finish the fence before the storm hits. He tries to get back to his wife, but unfortunately his truck won't start, so he has to stay at Cage Mansion until the storm passes. Ah, yeah, and this is where I've got it. So during the dinner scene, Cage says that he and Fancy have been married for 15 years, but have known each other for what feels like multiple lifetimes. This that's very much where I got this idea from. Of yeah, we the doubling dance is going to be voodoo. I was quite excited about where this was going, and it was starting to ramp up. And we've got this side plot of the missing teens as well. So I thought, okay, we, we're going somewhere now. Fancy tries to seduce Buddy once again. Buddy asks about a triple locked door to the basement, which she just banters away the question like it's nothing. And we go to Fancy's bedroom and see voodoo dolls are plenty. Again, just doubling down on this voodoo stuff. The, the, um, the first first great quote of the film, though, with, at that dinner table, where he uh, he looks at but uh, he looks at tadpole and says, "How long since your cock was sucked?" <laughs> <laughs> with, 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 the, with the emphasis on that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With it, with it bursting out into laughter. <laughs> yeah. But why? Is is this going to turn into a weird kind of? Is he going to be some kind of like? House of Cards thing where they seduce men together. But is this where this is going to go now? Well, Stu, my next prediction is he a cook? <laughs> is he a cook old? That was my next thing. Um, because, yeah, I thought exactly the same. I thought, oh, well done. This is a sex club now. They're not ghosts. This is a sec- is it going to be a, they're sexual deviants, aren't they? Yeah, he even says, I can tell you when I fuck my wife. And all these kind of weird, <laughs> these weird things that he says. Why? Oh, I wouldn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you won't know this because you haven't heard it yet but the the sting intro that i play to this is that quote of suck cock he just <laughs> says it really fucking weird like where have you put that odd fucking gap in there nick <laughs> very bizarre okay so yep fancy then tries to, and fails once again to seduce buddy we then get a flash cut where buddy wakes up on the couch with cage watching over him with a gun cage confesses to survivor's guilt and then talks him into killing Fancy for 20 grand as she has cancer and he wants to save her from the pain. Oh. Is this the murder that started the story? I mean, we're two thirds in and we, we're not really any further on from that very beginning opening segment. We still don't really know what's going on. And we've hit the hour mark at this point. Mm-hmm. So I thought yeah. that was a bit strange. I did want a little bit more as, as we got to this section of it, but... Obviously, we're talking about a murder now, so maybe it's going to pick up. It was odd at this point. When, when it went back to Kelsey Grammer, I'd completely forgot about that whole part of the story. <laughs> I, was, I was so engrossed in the madness. It's a bit like um, a bit like Until Dawn on PS4, where it, you go back to the um, the narrator occasionally, telling you what's going on in the story, and then you go back again, and it kind of just it takes you out of the story for a bit. And mm. it was it was the 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 police cell scenes where I was actually writing things for a change on my phone because yeah. it was just too mental to, to try and remember it all. But by this point, I mean, I've put in here that I've pretty much forgotten about the murder stuff because on first watch you just had because it never really gets picked back up again. But So you've got this murder plot. We've got some pseudo voodoo madness going on. We've got a man trying to kill his wife. We've got his wife trying to fuck the help. Like, <laughs> there's so much going on and obviously we've got this subplot of missing teens and we've had the Hamburglar who was shot at the beginning 
I've got to admit, I lost a little bit of interest once I hit the hour mark. Two thirds in, I'm like, okay, this is. I'm sorry to say this, Matt, but this is getting too lost for me. They're asking too many <gasps> no. questions and tying up none of it. You shut your whole mouth. <laughs> no, um, at, at, at this point, it, I was, I was at, I was coming to the edge. Yeah. So, um, I needed payoff, or I needed a bit more now. I needed to be let off the hook a little bit to kind of. They, were, they, they did a really good job of building tension up to this point about what's in the basement, what's their relationship, what's this, what's that, to the point where they're going to be, they're going to have not enough time, or they're going to do it really shit. Mm. answering the questions that we've been built up to at this point yeah and, and speaking of payoff fancy finally succeeds in fucking buddy and then buddy confesses that cage told him to kill her because she's got cancer but she then says well i haven't got cancer okay whatever you know it, it, it just felt very throwaway at that point this whole as she said they'd built up the tension really well they'd finally had this sex thing that was it well it would have been a cook old thing from what we find out later maybe mm. I'd, but well, like that, i said i'm sort of losing the will to live with this film a little bit at this point when when she found, when she saw the cyanide thing it almost got a bit like um like death becomes her kind of thing where oh, this that happens mm. all the time but not in a they were all dead thing but just how this is the norm and this, I thought, and that's when I, that's when it clicked with me. I thought, is this what, where all these people go missing? Is this what happens? That they, she seduces them, and they play this game trying to get the whoever the the missing teen is to kill each other. And th- that's what I thought. That's where I thought it was going at that point. I mean, I know we know the payoff, but I still don't fully understand any of it. If I'm perfectly honest, what but we'll, we'll get to that when we yeah. get to the end, I suppose. But. Uh, so then we get a bit of a fight between Cage and Buddy, and Cage then ends up ends up handcuffed. Fancy then tries to leave with Buddy until Cage tells Buddy to check what is in the basement to see what a crazy evil bitch Fra- Fancy is. When Buddy goes to look, Fancy then tries to shoot him. He runs into another room. He doesn't manage to get into the basement. And whilst in this other room, he sees more voodoo dolls. And one of the missing teens who's been sedated with an IV into his arm, keeping him alive. So it turns out that all along, Fancy and Cage have been in this together. Mm. But to what end? Mm. I, I don't really understand. Were they? Was the plan always to try and set Buddy up as the killer? Was he going to be another victim like this other missing teen that we've just found? It never gets explained, and I don't really. I've, I've got a theory, but it's, it's going to ruin the very end. So I'll say, I'll say it then. Save it to the end. Okay, okay. Uh, so Buddy attempts to escape. He fails, and rather than killing him, they knock him out and plant him and the now dead missing teen who was with the IV in his arm. They plant them in trucks, uh, in Buddy's truck, staging a crash which leads us then to the interrogation room with Dr. Fraser Crane. So we've now gone for full circle. There's still 20 minutes to go, though. So, like, what the fuck? <laughs> One police officer watching the interrogation thinks that Buddy might not be lying and finds a picture of a missing teen, not the one who's been killed, but finds this picture of a girl who is wearing a dress that matches the description of a piece of cloth that Buddy mentioned. Like, it's a bit of a logic leap. 
And the first thing they did is they ran in and showed him this picture. Is that the cloth that you were talking about? Like, I'm pretty sure the police wouldn't do that. <laughs> because they've just given him the answer there, haven't they? The police then decide that they do believe Buddy after all of this absolute nonsense story <laughs> and go to Cage Mansion with a warrant. Whilst there, they get into the basement and they discover one of the missing teens. That would be the girl who is wearing the dress of which Buddy saw the cloth. Rather than face the music, Cage decides to run. He tells Fancy, this is all because you wanted to expand our family. Like, what the fuck has that got to do with anything? (laughs) These aren't their children. They don't even see them as their kids. One of them's locked in a cell and the other one's trapped in a room with an IV in the arm. How is that expanding the family? And then Cage comes back at the end and gets shot down in a blaze of glory. Mm. The end? Like, I don't okay. really know what happened in the last half an hour, but I think Stu's going to tell us. The, um, <clears throat> again, I, I thought that about the expanded family thing, but I know we, we, you, you skipped over 20 minutes because it could have ended at four separate sections. Mm. There's four separate en- endings, and it was like one after, it was like playing a deleted scene. Straight after, the, well, this is the ending. Oh, no, it's going to be, a, oh, this is the ending. And then this is, a, but I think what was happening, I think it was clear that he couldn't get it up. So, and there was jabs at him and stuff, and then it's been all that long. And you had that thing where, where she was, earlier on in the film, where she was asking him to prove himself to be a man and stuff like that, and he couldn't do it. I think this this is what, <laughs> what he was. He couldn't get it up. There was keeping the hold of these young men and I know that if any say other voice ever thank God about all the emaciated children down there that mm. the, they were making babies <clears throat> they were making okay. like a kind of yeah because she says she says she can't have babies medically yeah because I remember laughing at that line like if not medically how else could you not have babies <laughs> like theoretically I just I didn't get that I think, okay. that, I think I think that's what he, I think that's what they were doing. I think they were they were getting blokes, harvesting them, like a bit of prostate. I don't know if that works under IV. Dean, you don't need us. to do the action, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they were inseminating these kidnapped women, having babies, yeah. and just like I don't know, you presume killing them off and making more. In, okay. Again, that that makes at, perfect sense. Yeah, that's what that's what I got from it. And then I thought, where the fuck has that come from? When you you look at the IMDb and it said it's about a murder. Mm. Yeah, I mean that actually what you've said there makes perfect sense. I mean, whether or not you've attributed more sense to the film than the director <laughs> has, I don't know. But yeah, that that's completely fair. But without that without that voiceover and then that, that kind of pan of the the dirty basement, mm. you wouldn't have got that from that. No. Unless, no, unless it was not at all. Unless it was on, tested on like four people, and they said, "Well, what happened?" And then they put the, that over the end, and it, it suddenly makes sense. I don't know. It might be just purely because I have got to the point of this film where I've just given up the ghost. So it could be that I just switched off and overlooked all of the the obvious clues, maybe. But there we are. So. This film had a budget of five million. I cannot find any box office returns. It looks like it had a very, very limited release run at the cinema and then was released on DVD shortly afterwards. 
I would be stunned if this got even half of its money back, to be perfectly honest. It's it got... Was... I mean, I've not even heard of this film before now, and it's been out almost a year, so... But was that it... What you would it have been released here? Because with these kind of nonsense little films, they get really like a small release here about three or four months later, don't they? And would that have, would that have happened? And then obviously, what lockdown? Possibly. So it was released in the states in January, I think. It had a two week release in January, so it, it could very well be due to that. But I wouldn't have thought it would have even got a, a cinematic release here. The thing is, with the right trailer, I'd have gone and seen that in the cinema. If they'd have put it as a, mm. like you said, a, a satanistic cult voodoo, that would right up my street. I definitely would have seen it. So it's it's a shame. Yeah, it would have been a perfectly serviceable schlocky B movie with a few you know tweaks here and there. It, it wouldn't have been a bad film. Um, but IMDb four point six, which is a little bit higher than I expected. The Metacritic is a twenty nine which is a bit more like it. Rotten Tomatoes, mm. 0%. Has not got a single positive review on Rotten Tomatoes, which apparently is only the second Nick Cage film to have uh, a zero. I, I don't know what the other one... I think the other one might be Dead for. We can't which, ruin it for ourselves. Which is a terrible, terrible film, if it is Dead for, if I remember correctly. So, the good, the bad and the crazy. Um, I'll start. I thought it was a good start to the film, an interesting middle. So, you know, the first two thirds I thought were shaping up to be a nice little genre flick. The bad, though, is that final third. It made no sense. It was very middle of the road. It was just a couple of kidnappers kidnapping young adults. Um, I don't know. It, it just felt like it set up a really interesting proposition and then shit the bed when it came to the payoff. It was really disappointing. And the crazy ties into the bad so we had a few nods to this possible supernatural explanation that really was what i wanted at that point once they'd got into it and then it was never explored further i mean why keep showing those voodoo dolls when mm. it had nothing to do with it so uh matt what are you thinking so the good uh, i previously mentioned they they did a an excellent job of keeping me occupied as to guessing what's going on in the film. It had me invested in it, um, but ties into the bad pretty much as soon as it became the couple of them trying to get buddy. That was it. Then all the tension had been lost. And then the film really lost me as a, as a consequence. I I wasn't interested at this point. Now It, it was the tension. It was the chase that I enjoyed, not the, not the payoff. Um, the crazy side of things, though, like the whole seduction scene, the heels like snapping the button off his trousers, <laughs> like it was just was it good, was yeah. it was it was it was amazing, and like you know, they they played they made Buddy out to be so stupid and like not oblivious to what she's doing, as it's, it's really obvious, but just a sitting duck, as we probably would be if like an older really attractive woman we've tried to seduce you in his scenario like completely like not knowing what to do with yourself so i just thought it he, he entertained me he entertained me to be honest yeah that's that scene i was getting quite hot under the collar with the old um, <laughs> the, the, the the buttons flying under the door it was quite tense um yeah well you already said that really the, that last 
the four different endings, it was almost like they ran out of money. Because mm. it was it was so slick, relatively slick for a film like this, put together for the first two thirds, and then it just kind of it just lost itself a bit. And it was a bit it was disappointing. Because well, you said again, you already said it about the voodoo stuff, which was never like what is she doing with it? Mm. It's just she just collected them like some people collect bells. Why? You don't need voodoo to impregnate people in a cellar. That doesn't make any sense. So that should have, again, it should have been an extra half hour long, but this, thank God it wasn't. <laughs> um, the good, I thought the, the the actual overall premise was good, and I thought Cage was excellent, was really good in this, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the scene when he was in the, um, in the, in the, Lofts area when he was when they were talking about uh, the twenty grand. I thought that scene was really good when they were talking about their um what the what the American government has done done for us and all this stuff. I thought that was all right, an all right mm-hmm. scene in the middle of a completely mental film. Um, yeah, the crazy just the whole thing. <laughs> the the yeah. whole thing is crazy, but it, it wasn't. It was it was two thirds two thirds an all right film, and then it was just a bit meh. Nothing really offended me. Nothing really made turn me off on it. Mm. Which, which, going into this film, I, I completely expected it to be worse than next. Three wasn't. Yeah. So, did you enjoy this film, Stu? Carry yeah, on. What do you it think? was alright. I mean, I wanted to talk about it straight after, literally mm. straight after, and for good reasons as well. Because I, I would, like we always say, would you recommend this? And I said, yeah, I would actually go and watch it. It's, it's interesting. It's got a few, a few ideas that you, as long as you say, oh, don't wait for the twist. Just saying, it's a, it's a decent film about a murder in the in the eighties, mm. and there you go. But yeah, I think that the eighties setting because you know having mobile phones would have ruined it. Yes, having, that's a good point. Yeah, having internet would have ruined it. Having taxis would have ruined it. So uh, you had to set it in either early nineties or late eighties, and if you set it in the early nineties, then the veteran thing would have had to it would have had to be older. So mm. I think that for that reason, and setting it around real world events as well, it just made perfect sense to me. Yeah, I suppose really the the mobile phone is the death of the horror genre, isn't it? Well, that's why the like things like yeah. um, host and stuff like that that's completely on the the whole webcam, the new webcam genre, mm. <laughs> and thing, all new horror films set in the eighties for that reason. Yeah. Well, I think it's my favourite ones that they have to avoid use of mobile phones or find some contrivance to for, for why they can't use their mobile. It's quite sad, really. Um, Matt, did you enjoy the film? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, apart from the the ending, um, the, as soon as Nick Cage doesn't have a beard and he's that part, that part can go in the bin for me. Like, I really wish it wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think it, it ticked a lot of boxes for me, um, and I was I was shocked at the reviews. Like, I text um, one of our faithful listeners, Tom, who's who's features on when he uh, sends questions in and stuff. I said, if you get a chance while you're so he's got a newborn, if you get a chance while you're up, watch Grand Isle, one of the Nick Cage films. The wife is one hot tomato, and the sexual tension is making my stomach hurt. <laughs> so <laughs> that's basically you know what I mean, like, but. It was just it had a it had a um, it had a charm to it, and I I enjoyed it, and I I enjoyed being taken on the guessing game of what's actually happening with this film, and I'd recommend mm. it to someone as 
because of the ending, more of just a throwaway. Watch it once and you'll enjoy it. The you know the looking number eleven effect. Um, but you'll <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I mean, in my notes, I've got that it's throwaway and forgettable. Mm-hmm. But would I recommend it to others? Yeah, I'd say watch it. When you get bored, turn it off. Like it, you don't need to sit there and play through the whole thing. It's yeah. the payoff's not amazing, but it's an interesting enough film, and it's just the right kind of mad bollocks to to keep <laughs> you going throughout. I think so. Yeah, I've definitely seen worse. I mean, I've seen worse this week with the last <laughs> film we spoke about. So also, yeah. also breaking news. Um, I'm ninety. Uh, another text message from the same listener. I'm ninety nine percent sure I've shit in every nightclub I've ever been in. How <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? I don't know. What's, that what is he, mad. What's he drinking to make this happen to him? Uh, espresso martinis, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's just having an enema. Who knows? <laughs> um, so, is Nick Cage good or bad here? I'll kick this off. I'm very torn on this. The performance is very one note, but he's easily the best thing in the film. Like, Buddy isn't that interesting an actor. But I do feel there is a darkness to Nick Cage that is very watchable and quite interesting. But there's not enough variation. On the balance of scales, I'm edging towards good. So that, that's me. Uh, Stu, what do yeah, you I think? think? I thought he was by far the best thing about this film. Anyway, she's... She does a very, very incredibly well good job of being the uh, femme fatale. Mm. But he, um, like I said, that scene in the loft, and there was certain things he played the 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 ex, the veteran drunk very well. You can see that he could flip at any time. He played that well. You don't have, you don't need to show a care inside because he probably hasn't got one anymore. Mm. <laughs> Having a lunatic voodoo wife, why would you? Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll say yeah. And not uh, like seventy percent, yes, in this one. Mm. Matt, what are you thinking? Yeah, um, I I I disagree with you slightly, Andy, in that I think he shows a bit a bit more depth than I think you you're giving him credit for. We we get the veteran side of things, the proud, well, not proud American, the un-American at this point, I guess. Um, he has a, a humorous, very dry or 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 sarcastic humour about his character as well then the psychotic um cage side of him as well and then the implot in, in trying to implore buddy to um to kill his wife for all the right reasons i actually think it gives a bit of a bit of range in this um so yeah i'd put him down as a good actor i don't know if i'm being blinkered because i actually want to defend the film that has been pretty universally panned but mm. uh, but yeah i think he, i think he, i think he was good in this film yeah excellent so that's us done for another week. Remember to sign up to the Twitter. We're at CageFightingPod. Email us to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Our next episode is obviously going to be a question cast, so make sure you get your questions in. And um, Please, if you can just take a minute to leave a review. Look, we don't ask you for any money. Literally just 30 seconds of your time for the hours of work we presume would be greatly appreciated. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? You kicked my ass. You're a worthy warrior. <laughs> and from me, it's goodbye. And remember, if you really want to watch a decent 80s teen film, there are loads Valley of Girl. great ones. And <laughs> Valley Girl is not one of them.
see you next time for the question cast very well bart i shall send you to heaven before i send you to hell and two, and three, and we sail the ocean blue, and our saucy ships of beauty, we are sober men and...